Hello and welcome to the Campaign Podcast brought to you by Campaign, the advertising, media and marketing magazine. I'm Omar Oaks, media and tech editor at Campaign. And I'm Brittany Kiefer, the creativity and culture editor. Hi Brittany, you've been in Florida taking a little break. How's it been? Yes, I've been here for an extended time um, over lockdown with my family, but I did have a couple weeks off recently, which was very relaxing. And I don't mean to brag, but it's very warm and sunny here. Uh, <laughs> you, it's uh, we're recording on Tuesday this week, and on Monday it actually was a blizzard. When I woke up uh, in Southwest London, it was actually snowing down buckets. It was ridiculous. Middle of April. Wow. Yeah. So um, we're having quite different times. Um, if you've been in Florida, you've probably missed um, all the, the the dramatics goings on in the UK um, with Prince Philip sadly dying yeah it's it was actually big news here because americans a lot of them take a keen interest in the royal family so it was a top news story on um all the tv channels i came across and the newspapers but um probably not as big as it was over there it was rather the big deal indeed um, we had um, ITV and other media owners suspending their advertising on Friday when the Duke of Edinburgh died. Um, but most um, controversially, as it turned out, um, the BBC effectively cancelled all its regular programming on BBC One and BBC Two on Friday evening. And it, it meant things like the MasterChef final was suspended. Oh, no. uh, a women's football match between England and France um, was available for online only, I think. And it meant that the BBC got 100,000 complaints, which is um, the, the most um, in its history. It hasn't confirmed this, by the way. This is a report in National National Press. But also the impact that it had on audience was quite significant. BBC One audience down 6% week on week. BBC Two down two thirds of its audience Um just 340,000 people tuning in at any time between 7 and 11 p.m. Um, when this simulcast was happening. Um, Brittany, it's quite extraordinary. Um, what was your reaction to this? Do you, do you think that um, it's strange that the BBC should have done this? Yeah, I was. Um, I saw all the some of the reaction on Twitter, and so I didn't realize at first what was going on. But I think if I had been in London, that would have really surprised me and kind of struck me because I think I was trying to think if it if that had happened in the U.S., like say if the president or another leader passed away, it I could see it taking over the main news channels like NBC, ABC, CBS, but not all all channels, which is what you're saying about what the BBC did. So um, I I, I was really surprised. I think that um, it's like you were saying, like probably doesn't serve BBC's full audience of people, right? Well, it kind of reminds me of um, when you were away. Um, I was, I was, I was reprising your conversation about um, whether advertising should be more Fleabag or Mrs. Brown's Boys. Yeah. Reprising this conversation with Kate McGee in your absence, and um, I was trying to make the point that um, it's, it's a really interesting point that Paul Feldwick made in his in his March um, in the March issue campaign, which everyone should read in March issue campaign, um, but. Is there an issue with media fragmentation and audiences are becoming ever more divided as the internet allows opportunities mm. for people to pick what they want? 
And it seems really strange that I can understand the decision to do it with BBC One, but with BBC Two, which let's remember is supposed to provide an alternative range of programming, why simulcast it? Particularly when, I, I don't know what the statistics are off the top of my head, but there is a sizable minority, not a majority, but a sizable minority in this country who are maybe, if not Republicans, um, at, ambivalent at best about the royal family. Right. Um, and I get that it's the state um, broadcaster, but um, to it's there isn't a monolithic view, like so much in our country, you know, people say we're a divided country, but actually people do have different views. And that's a good thing in a democracy. Um, but I think why do it on BBC Two as well as BBC One? I think it's a really strange decision. And unfortunately for the BBC, it's of a piece with lots of criticism they've had in recent years and months, um, including coverage of Brexit. Uh, you might say um, the, the scrutiny over um, the exit from the European Union hasn't been strong enough from the BBC journalism. Or indeed, in recent weeks, we've seen um, questions over, you know, its coverage or non-coverage of Boris Johnson's um, affair with um, Jennifer R. Curie and whether whether there was public money um, that was appropriated um, for her whilst he was mayor of London. Um, so unfortunately, it comes at a difficult time for the BBC, which, you know, is in fairness, having a very tough time as negotiations with the next licence fee with the government will come up. Yeah, when I've written about the BBC recently, one of the biggest criticisms leveled against it is that it's not doing a good enough job of reaching a wide diversity of audiences, so particularly young people and ethnic minorities. And um, it's also been said, I think this was Tim Davey himself has said, that uh, the BBC's to improve the coverage of its audiences, it also needs to improve the diversity of its staff. And he doesn't want there to just be this one BBC type, um, which I think is still largely the perception. So I think instances like this kind of feed into that negative perception of, of the BBC just serving a more narrow audience. Yeah, I think it's um it's so difficult when you make these decisions because there's only, you know, one broadcast channel. But when you're trying to cater for a, a range of audiences and a range of views, um, as you say, Brittany, um you, you have to have diverse thinking at the top to, to best inform those decisions. Um and it's something obviously advertisers need to take note of as well. Um let's talk about um advertisers particularly on the subject of pitching um i wrote a piece for campaign magazine last month where i was i was talking about um a flurry of um global media reviews that we're we're expecting this year and lo and behold um since then we've had um reviews launched for facebook for for dyson um many many more which um i i hear are due to come in the pipe this month now for some agencies in particular um, this is causing quite an issue on strain, workload. Um, we had a piece online last week that Kate McGee wrote. Um, it was a piece. It was a piece of research that this company called the Great Pitch Company, they're a pitch consultancy, did. They did this research which um, said the four biggest challenges to new business in 2020 were heavy workloads, pitching virtually, lack of staff resources, and working remotely. And Brittany. This coincided with um, something I was told privately by media agency people recently where, you know, they've been talking about their own particular examples of strain on mental health. And they actually questioned whether marketers themselves need to be more mindful of this. And it made me think, well, you know, we've written actually a lot in the last few months about the 
that's being media palooza, pitch palooza, whatever you want to call it. Do you think that brands maybe should be not pitching, not more adding more fuel to this fire or trying to think of different ways? I mean, first of all, do you think that they have a duty of care at all to agencies and their overworked staff? So... I think they do, but whether or not they see it that way, they're just going to get better work if they do take some responsibility for this issue because creativity doesn't flourish when you're under enormous time constraints and pressure and so much stress and you're working from home and the lines between work and your home life are blurring and you're not going to get the best work out of people if they're under that kind of pressure. So I think whether or not they feel a personal sense of responsibility, I think the it just makes good business sense if they do look after um, the kind of pressure they're putting agencies under. Yeah, um, there's a kind of feeling there's an element of, well, it's not my problem um, sort of element to this. Mm. Um, but, you know, over the, over the years, the different issues come up when it comes to, um, you know, haggling over fees or whether it's actually drawing lines in terms of how, when the working day starts and ends. It's, it's very difficult when you're in a client service industry. Um, by the time this podcast goes out, we'll have published a piece on campaignlive.co.uk where we asked this question, should um, marketers take more care over um, pitching agencies and their mental health and so on? Um, we've had a response from Julian Douglas, who is um, the new president of the IPA, Julian Douglas from VCCP, and he says um, the pitch process is inherently inefficient. Um, it's not enough to say, well, agencies have a choice, they don't need to pitch. That He says that's an irresponsible position. He says to survive, to pay their staff and keep the lights on, the vast majority do in a pitch in a pitch or staff situation, most agencies will take their chances. Marketers have a right to call a pitch, but they must acknowledge and take responsibility for the wastage inherent in the pitch process. Enlightened marketers will consider the human impact of the pitches they call. Um, mm. Do you can can you see that with the pandemic? I mean, so much is probably going to change as a result of the pandemic and post-pandemic times. Do you think that we're going to see better pitch processes going forward? Well, this is something we've talked about and heard people complain about for years working in campaign. Like, I mean, I think every time I, I, I think of every like period in the run up to Christmas, agencies saying, oh, we've, you know, we're pitching for this business. It means we're going to have to work over Christmas because the deadline is, uh, you know, right after like early January. I mean, there's so many stories and examples of that, but I think that I'm hopeful that people themselves, like employees themselves, are not going to accept what they did before because there's so much more emphasis now on changing work cultures and having some better work-life balance. Like people, a lot of people have realized who are lucky enough to work from home that they can have this kind of hybrid mix of working if they prefer it. They can be home to see their kids or they can, you know, don't have to put up with a long commute and they can work in the way that works best for them. So I hope that employees, but also the businesses that employ them will put this issue kind of front of mind. Like, let's find a way where everybody on the team can do their best work. Because we've seen from this crisis that everyone can work differently, and we can still be productive. So I think that it's going to continue to change. And one of those big issues in this industry will be the pitching practices. I actually want to give a shout out to an advertiser that I wouldn't normally do so, but um, I want to give a shout out to Burberry. 
actually, because Burberry launched um, a media review way back in the start of 2020, I think just before um, the pandemic took hold, lockdowns happened, etc. And they they still haven't completed this review. It hasn't really moved on. And that's because they were insistent on having chemistry meetings face to face in a room. And so what happened last year, you know, the story kind of things locked down, they opened again, they locked, they locked down again. And they ultimately never, they didn't progress the process last year. And they're finally going to get it going this year now that you're finally starting to have face-to-face meetings again. And I really think that's great. Like some advertisers or um, if some marketers or media agency people, if, they, if they're comfortable with having pitches on Zoom, that's fine. That's good for you. But if you're a client that thinks it's too important, this, this advertising account or this media agency relationship, this is too important not to meet these people face to face and actually look mm-hmm. them in the eyes and, you know, uh, see, you know, get, get those intangibles. If you want to go into business with someone and spend a lot of money with them, you, you need to see how they are. You know, I, I, I actually think that's great. And I want to hear about more brands who are actually doing that, because um, how, as, as you said right at the top, Brittany, how are you supposed to expect these agencies to do their best work? If they're stressed, you're one of, you know, 10 things that they're doing this week because you just can't wait. You need to kind of, you know, get that extra margin from your relationship or you want to do a new campaign now. I, you know, I just think have a word with your existing agency if you have one and see, see what, if you need to change things, see how they can change for you. Don't just immediately launch a review. Mm. Yeah. I was um, having a conversation yesterday with a creative leader who's one of the best creative leaders in the industry. And he was um, going to see some art somewhere or check out this artist. And I kind of jokingly said like, Oh, are you getting any work done today? And he said, well, this is, for my job. Like if I don't have these moments of um, checking out art or seeking inspiration or just a break from the endless Zoom calls, like I won't be good at my job. I won't be able to make work. And that's something that um, there's a lot of lip service paid to it, but a lot of people forget how important that is just to give especially creative teams some space, some headspace, some actual time to do something that's not their job. And if they're just going from pitch to pitch to, um, you know, campaign deadlines and all this, like their their work is going to suffer. Yeah, absolutely. I've always wondered, like during this whole year, when creatives can't go to galleries, they can't go to the cinema, which is a different viewing experience to TV, mm. for most people anyway. <laughs> um, where are they getting these pieces of inspiration? Obviously we have books and TV and films and so on, but um, it's I, I really worry about kind of the juices not flowing as they should. Speaking of ads, anything catch your eye this week? Head, head of creativity and culture, Bruni, what, what's caught your eye on the, the marketing front? Uh, I thought this Tesco ad was interesting, encouraging people to go to the pubs. It was created by a BBH and obviously supermarkets have had a decent year and their businesses haven't largely suffered as much as some other sectors. Um, but they they put out this ad in the press just encouraging people to go to their local and have a pint if they could. Um, what do you think of that, Omar? 
Uh, yes, I wrote about it. Um, it's um, I, I, I think it's a it's a great campaign. Um, it's a it's a press ad for the most part. They did some billboards on social media as well, but it also ran in national newspapers at the beginning of the week when pubs reopened. And I'll just read out the copy. It says pubs have had it tough this year. That's why for once, instead of telling you about our fantastic deals, we're using the space to ask you to support them instead. In brackets, as long as you feel safe to do so, uh, because right now every little helps. You've heard that slogan before. Uh, yeah, shout out to Daniel Seeger at Richard Biggs at BBH, who created this media agency is Mediacom. Um, it's, yeah, as you say, supermarkets, not just Tesco, did extremely well and people couldn't go to the pub. They were getting their tinnies and their, their vodkas and all sorts um, from the supermarkets. Mm-hmm. Frankly, they did really well. Tesco sales were up 29% year on year, um, their, their media figures showed and it's just you know it's it's nice for an advertiser being mindful of that implicitly and saying well you know don't spend money with us for a change go out and actually support the local community um this you know um we do talk about purposeful advertising quite a lot on this podcast because it's really important and everyone's mindful of that and this you know it's it's not making such a big song and dance of purpose it's actually just you know it's quite a sensible message from an advertiser that seems confident in its own skin and is just saying, you know, don't spend money with us, but, you know, we're, we're there for you. It, it feels authentic. Yeah, I like that it's understated. It's not like a big TV ad or, you know, it's just something with a simple message that I think will resonate with a lot of people. Good. OK, Um. well, no interview this week. And um, some news from myself. I am actually leaving campaign, dear listener. I'm sorry to inform you. No. But Brittany <laughs> knows this already. She's pretending. <laughs> it is true uh, that there was um, an announcement this week. I'm, I'm actually joining Mediatel News as editor next month. Um, so um, you won't be hearing me on the campaign podcast forevermore. I suppose you, you didn't think I did anyway. But yes, uh, very exciting. And um, I will still be, of course, reading what Campaign does very intently. I've been here for six years and I made a lot of friends with some fantastic journalists. So why would I not? Why would I not? And the podcast isn't going away either, but we will miss you, Omar. Good. I'm glad to hear it. And I'll, of course, miss you too, Brittany. <laughs> um, Brittany, um, you, you worked at the, the company longer than I did, but we actually started within weeks of each other, didn't we? Yeah, I think you started about two weeks before before I joined the UK office. And I remember when I joined the week after everyone went off to Cannes, except for you and I, and it was just the two of us in the old Teddington office, uh, reading about the fun people were having in Cannes. <laughs> and in a quirk of fate, no one is going to Cannes. Uh, for the second year row, Cannes Lions <laughs> announced that it will be digital only, which is fun. Um, but I'm sure um, even, even France will sort its shit out i'm sure and we'll be back to doing live events next year so um, maybe i'll see you there in can next year who knows okay well that's the show this week no interview but normal service will be resumed very soon thank you Brittany, and thanks also to lindsay riley who has dutifully edited this episode of the campaign podcast and of course all the stories you've heard about today and more can be found at campaignlive.co.uk if you're a first time listener to the podcast please subscribe leave a review but until next week please stay safe and goodbye <laughs>